We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Captured and Celluloid on Make Time for This, proudly part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. And on this episode, we are going to talk about the newest film from David Fincher. We're going to talk about The Killer. Fresh off of brief theatrical release around the world, now on Netflix worldwide. Lots to talk about. Andrew, how are you doing? Burdened by being forced to exist, as I'm sure many of us are. How are you doing? I'm glad to be here talking about movies. Filmmaker we talked about many times on this podcast and just, uh, you know, see what he's up to now and uh, go from there. How are you doing, most importantly? Um, I'm doing all right been an interesting couple of days on you know the world wide web um i'd probably be better in some regards in that way but i'm doing all right look it's always a good time when i'm here to talk movies with you and we're gonna talk about a really big one like we were talking about one of the one of i guess the last remaining power hitter mainstream we talked about this pretty you know not not as regularly as we as we'd like to because there aren't that many of them. But this is the kind of filmmaker that one of their one of their movies come around. It's like this is someone that you can say to someone at least relatively normal, not necessarily hardcore movie guy. Oh, it's directed by David Fincher, and if that doesn't immediately take the recognition, you could say, oh, he directed, you know, The Social Network and. Fight Club or Gone Girl, what and be right. Oh, cool. I'm into that. Um, so that always makes a Fincher movie an interesting thing to come around to see exactly what he's gonna do. And I think increasingly to see, you know, how it's gonna be received and what kind of conversation is gonna build up around it. He has very much tied himself to Netflix from the start, but in recent years, his movies have made that pivot to Netflix. 
is it's following up Mank, which came out in 2020 exclusively for Netflix. So back-to-back Netflix movies, and as I think probably a lot of people would have seen earlier in the week, um, Fincher has been singing Netflix's praises more broadly as well, describing it to LeMond as the best quality control in Hollywood and saying the streaming is the future of cinema. Wonder does he really feel that? I don't know. This is where he works right now. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on David Fincher of all people being a Netflix filmmaker? Because I think it's kind of interesting off of the social network and the business that does. But Girl with Dragon Tattoo made money. Gone Girl made a lot of money. He's someone that even he can make pretty dark and twisted stuff. And if people show up, maybe you'll get even more people to, you know, log in at home. But the ongoing conversation of, well, what does that really mean? I don't think we've answers. Or what does it mean for the life of a film? Like, will the killer have a life, a shelf life, like some of those other movies? I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, David Fitcher is a filmmaker who has made two of my favorite films of all time. So obviously when he comes out with a new film, it's something that I try to see as, as quickly as I can. We talked about uh, Mank a few years ago, pretty glowingly at the time. And then I'd say, honestly, didn't think about it much since on my end, which is something to interrogate with the Netflix of it all, I think, as well. Um the killer I, I really liked um, and uh, not as much as some people and wasn't as sour on it as some people. So I'm kind of in the middle there, but I really enjoyed uh, my experience of watching it. That being said, I'm not going to be someone that's going to take up arms on the David Fincher side of this argument, because as much as I can be lazy and struggle and get out to see a movie and also Adam, you know, guns in America. I'm always freaked out anytime I'm in a dark theater, you know, uh, in a state and country that does not regulate guns and has had notable uh, mass shootings at theaters. So, uh, which is so all of that is to say, I still want to protect the cinema going experience, even though I have my ups and downs and ebbs and flows with how much I get out to the theater. So, to see a filmmaker like Fincher, uh, as prominent as he is, just kind of either call it embracing it for whatever his reason is maybe it's the creative control that he views he's getting as uh you noted right there or if it's just a resignation to a reality of a situation that has been uh brought about by years of the streaming culture uh kind of taking hold with society and as also like what covid and that stoppage did to the in-person movie going experience and how it starts to really really change our habits as media consumers um but yeah that's I, i'll say his comments are not necessarily surprising because when we have these two like splits of types of filmmakers the ones like martin scorsese who's going to be like my film belongs on a big screen movies are, are made for the big screen i want to protect that experience um there's always going to be someone on that other side who is through the wall like kind of embracing what the the new reality and new normal is but it's like I understand it from his perspective, but I I don't love it now that you've brought that to my attention. Yeah, 
I, I kind of bring it up because I think it somewhat factors into my reception of the killer and I guess how we're going to talk about it. I saw the killer in a movie theater a couple of weeks ago. I had a pretty nice time. I enjoyed the film. Um, and then I had this kind of like two weeks period of grace where I was left to think about it. And I guess the hype is still building up because for most people, they haven't seen it yet. And the, the Netflix rollout kind of prolongs that in a way, which is interesting. And I found it kind of wavering in my estimation where I wasn't as sure of, well, do I like this as much as I felt like I liked at the time? And then kind of wanting to have that second viewing to to make my mind up for sure, to affirm that. And on second viewing, I'm like, this looks, looks pretty bad. And it, the one thing it doesn't look at a movie theater is bad. Like it's... It's very, very well shot and precise movie. It's just one of those things like, you know, I'm watching on like a 4K TV and Netflix 4K and the compression is out of control. And you're like, God, you can talk about your TV settings all you want. And this thing just still doesn't look like a movie. And one of the reactions I, I had, even in enjoying it was, and I remember talking to a friend of mine, kind of within a couple of days after it, a big Fincher fan, he was asking me, he's like, I've got a choice. I can go see one thing this weekend. I have time for, do I prioritize killers at a flower moon or do I prioritize the killer? And for me, like it was no brainer. You go see killers at a flower moon. It's like, I don't think this is the most essential David Fincher film he has ever made. Uh, if you're going to be waiting and seeing one of those two things at home, well, that's probably the way I'd go with it. And part of what I end up telling him was that there are just a number of elements in this film that just feel, I don't know, Netflixy. The titles was, was one, like the chapter cards, which I thought looked really cheap and basic in a very strange way. Um, no, I'm not talking about the opening titles. The opening credits are great. I mean, when we're changing locations and when the film is essentially being divided into chapters. And it just had a feeling of something where it kind of reminded me of some of the lesser Soderbergh stuff that he's done for streaming, where it's like, this is a really accomplished filmmaker. This is good, but it just doesn't feel like it's the same thing as his other works. And I... I don't know. That's hard to untangle because I, at the same time, I don't think those guys are making the films in an entirely different way. And all filmmakers who make stuff for streaming go on to talk about, you know, I make my films as if they're going to be seen in the big screen. And, you know, if you do that kind of the trickle down effect is generally there that people get the right experience out of it. But there is something about it that just it, it feels off. And I think in terms of this film does quite a lot of globe trotting and it does have some scale, but I, I didn't find that to translate at home. You've, you've only seen it at home. So I don't know. Like that might just not be there for you to pick up on because your, your soul viewing experiences from that perspective. But I don't, did you find any of that kind of noticeable or did anything in terms of a, this being a Netflix movie stand out to you? Yeah, I think, uh, me coming to it and viewing it as a quote-unquote Netflix movie lowered my expectations and made it 
the barrier to entry in watching it on that home viewing a lot easier because I had not had the experience of seeing it in a theater. And um, I had really limited options uh, around here. That's another thing that was kind of Which weird. is, like, I've, I've heard, like, even in bigger cities, there's, like, there's one theater in, like, a 150-mile radius in some states. Yeah, it was... Shown. It was like the Alamo Draft House, like fifty minute drive away from me. So it's just like not gonna happen. Um, and so those lowered expectations, uh, kind of set me up to really just enjoy it. And uh, vi- visually isn't necessarily kind of the takeaways that I have though had though. So that makes sense that our experience would be different there. Um, the things that stood out to me, and I. Like I watched this with headphones, so the music and the score oh, wow. really okay. landed, really landed for me. Um, I've been listening to the Smiths all week, um, because of uh, because of it. So there, there's you know there's one positive out of it, and then I think I might have misread this movie too, because I I didn't view it as much as an action thriller. For me, it was a dark comedy. Like I I thought it was kind of taking the piss out of. Um, I don't think you misread certain it. aspects. Okay, I, uh, I taking think you're a piss good. out of certain certain aspects of <laughs> what it means to be a hitman. Uh, you know, you know, sometimes sometimes you know, even the most skilled could have you know a bad week at work. Um, and there was a I, there was a quote I read by a filmmaker that we both love. Uh, and I, can I read it to you and get your take on it? Because yeah, um, I wanna I wanna know if you, this is kind of the. Re- like it, it seems like you're viewing in the theater versus you're viewing at home kind of one of those lanes you might agree with this statement and the other it it might not and maybe that's why it's poorly served on like a laptop screen or television well, so Paul just Schrader before said, before you do was it on a laptop do you watch this uh yeah okay um Paul Schrader said thoughts while watching the killer is style its own validation in narrative art or should it serve another purpose as well? Fincher's film was a masterclass in film style, but there is a phrase for this in Texas. It's called all hat. So whether or not you agree with like the end of that, but, but is that a reason for you, especially when you're seeing that masterclass in style on the big screen versus on your television screen at yeah, home, but, it really just doesn't land. Well, it lands on the big screen because that's what it's an exercise in. And I mean, take aside whatever, like, let's imagine this is released on a pristine Blu-ray where the experience would be better. You're going to have, you know, have the compression problem. You'll have much better picture quality, much better detail in your image. Still, just by simply shrinking down the scale, like with any movie, you're going to lose something. Now, it will generally, it will still land. Like, the movie is also, and we'll get into the actual content, and that'll make sense. Like, it is... It is as ice cold as can be, and intentionally so. Like that is that is the point. I'm also kind of acutely aware of that. The part of I think what like just doesn't win me over feels like the exact reasons why Fincher wanted to make this movie in this way and this story, and why I think a lot of people are projecting their vision of Fincher onto the movie, which I think is its its own weird thing which Fincher himself has pushed back against and whatever, people could take that whatever they, they want. But I, I do think there's a lot that's being kind of ascribed to this film just because it suits it suits the vision that people have built up of Fincher, of, you know, again, the meme 
vision of Fincher. It's not even really diving into anything beyond the surface, but the perfectionist who does a hundred takes and kind of, you know, this guy who's just so super methodical. I've even, I've seen it kind of put out there as this is, you know, this is Fincher acknowledging that Mank didn't land for people. You know, the opening scene, essentially, it's Fincher making Mank and he, makes a mess of Mank, and then he has to go and clean up Mank for Netflix, and so we have the killer. I Like, go outside. Please go outside and just, you know, get some air, do something different with your life, because I just... That's just so galaxy brain, and I really... If anyone has ever seen an interview with David Fincher, if anyone's ever... Uh, probably better. I mean, I think the only ways you can really get a sense of interest, like go watch any of the David Pryor behind the scenes documentaries. I actually watched quite a few of them in the last week. I'd never seen them before. But David Pryor, the director of The Empty Man, um, was previously, you know, Fincher's special features documentary maker. And he would make these feature length special features films. The Zodiac one is quite notable. The Social Network one, particularly so. I haven't watched the Benjamin Button one yet because it is as long as the film. He made a three-hour behind-the-scenes documentary on Benjamin Button. And these things aren't just like any old special feature you see kind of tossed onto a DVD or Blu-ray. But like, you see the you see the guy Fincher is and how he interacts with people. It's like, Fincher is not having a movie come out and then being like, God, I didn't deliver for Netflix what they might have hoped. Let me make a response for that in a style that's, you know, closer to what I'm known for, commenting on what I do. It just feels so far removed from him. Not to mention, like, The Killer and the graphic novel The Killer is a project that he's kind of been linked to for a very long time. He's someone with a lot of unrealized uh, movies. But this is one, like, his name has been in the mix for, for quite some time. It just seemed like a matter of time before it would be made. And I think all the ingredients are there on paper, um, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the graphic novel, the source material. It just in terms of what the story was, I was ultimately left. I had a feeling this was just a little disposable. And I, I've been thinking more about Fincher lately, um, in part because this is a conversation that really started up for me. We did talk about it, but I've been having it with myself in my own head, too, Andrew. I'm not going to lie. Since Killers of the Flower Moon came out, I mean, that movie came out we talked on the pod and I talked privately. I'm like, this really feels like one of the best movies of the 21st century, one of the best movies of my lifetime. And with that, I've been working through, you know, well, what to me, what to me is in the mix and what holds those titles. And in doing some more reflection and having done a rewatch, I, I really struggle to look past Zodiac. And I think when you've got Zodiac and the social network at the top end of what Fincher does, like, He's an incredible craftsman who has a very kind of a very reliable hit rate of being able to make, I guess, a seven out of 10 movie, right? Something that is going to be entertaining to some extent, but is going to have maybe just a little bit more than the average moviegoer is necessarily expecting, often by means of violence. Like, He's got it down. He's one of the best working directors. But I do feel like there's a massive chasm between the real top end of his work and the rest of his stuff. And it doesn't mean like that the rest of his stuff isn't beloved because a lot of it is or that there isn't 
kind of reason to that. It just kind of feels like very different gears for a filmmaker that like feel more pronounced even than other directors. And it's not because, you know, oh, well, just, you know, not everyone can make their best movie all the time. That's not really the point. There are plenty of movie, plenty of directors and a lot of my favorite directors who if you watch their best movie and you watch their worst movie, you can just undeniably be like, the same guy is working on this with the same preoccupations. Like, they're trying to make the same movie. Like, you mentioned Schrader. The applies for Schrader. The applies for De Palma, you know, to mention two of my off-coded favorites. Like, you watch their best film, you watch their worst film, you're like, the same, like, principles of style are there. The same preoccupations thematically are there. And you get this massive level of kind of fluctuation. With Fincher, like, Social Network feels so far removed from so much of what he's done. But also, so does Zodiac. I feel Zodiac gets lumped in. And he, this even kind of came around when people were like, oh, the killer. And it's it's about a hitman. And people started, like, frame certain Fincher movies in a way that isn't entirely representative of them. In a way that's like the Martin Scorsese only makes gangster movies kind of things. Like... What is Zodiac? Zodiac, sure, it's a movie about a serial killer, but it's not really. It's a procedural. It's like, it's as much about detective work and newspapers and investigation. And it's just, it's so, it's interested in such a kind of wider scope of, not just of a story, but of like the world it's set in. And that applies to the social network too. And this feels very narrow. And part of the thing with Fincher is- even Benjamin Button, what I would put in that category of like the wider scope of well, things. Well, it's it's um, so sprawling. I mean, obviously the the span of time that movie plays into that, but yeah, it is it is true that it is trying to do something that is different, and that was a very personal film that Fincher spoken about. You know, it's not the first or the last time he's had films where he's talked about his father's relationship to it, and everyone just just being like, oh man, you know, his father's script. That's his most personal movie. There's scenes in Benjamin Button which are just straight out like him channeling the moments his father was dying. Like that's that to me feels more personal on screen. But I do think there's always this weird thing because he doesn't write his own screenplays, and yet he very clearly like shapes the script with his writer. It's not to say that he's hands off with that, but you you get these tears, and I I feel it more and more over time when we did the last Venture Pod. I remember us talking about it and it's like Fight Club's just not a movie I really like all that much anymore. It's not it's not a bad movie by any means, but it's just I heard a lot of people Alex Ross Perry was talking about this. Was it on Blank Check? Was on the big picture. I remember he was on some pod recently, he was talking about Fight Club and what it what it meant to him seeing it when it came out. And as being like this unavowed lover of it, still now recognizing that the movie is just inherently juvenile. There's something that as you get older, it's impossible to hold the same level of feeling for it. Uh, Seven, a movie that the first time I saw it, I was kind of blown away by. Now feels somewhat too slick to me in places. It just doesn't land the same way. I'm not being overly critical of Seven. I still really, really like Seven. But just... I think Fincher is a filmmaker that increasingly I'm feeling this interesting kind of tearing of his work. And I really think because his two best films in particular, but Zodiac above all else are such a like 
insanely high, unimpeachable level. Uh, if you were to ask like a wide swathe of critics for the best, we'll we'll narrow it down to American films of the twenty first century. There are very few filmmakers that I feel like are going to come out on top in maybe maybe a like a good chunk, like possibly 30-40% of the poll overall, and even fewer who would have multiple movies with a claim for that. And I, I like the social network and Zodiac are gonna be right in the mix for pretty much everyone. And even if you're not crazy on one or the other, you probably you will have the other one near it. I I don't really know anyone who's like social network, that's terrible. Zodiac, it's also terrible. Like they're kind of undeniable and that's on the one hand really unfair but on the other hand when fincher makes a movie like this which is an a like a fun exercise in style a film with great set pieces that are very enjoyable in the moment i couldn't help but just be a little bit disappointed when it didn't feel like the set pieces ultimately led me to somewhere that was really i guess worthy of this is a david fincher film and the kind of excitement that brings to me we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, the tier thing you talk about is just so true because you've got Alien 3 at one end and you've got Zodiac and Social Network at the other end. And I'd say Girl with the Dra Dragon Cat Tattoo is closer to those waters than this next thing I'm going to say. But in the middle there, he's the Rotten Tomatoes certified fresh director where, it, like you said, it's that 7 out of 10. Mo most people are going to like this more than they're not going to like it, but he's not like swimming in the deep waters that he's swimming in when he's tackling Zodiac and the social network. He's a director. When uh, I went to revisit our episode where we did top fives, uh, I think it was in 2020, actually good Lord, Adam, the time passes. I need to go watch Benjamin button again. So I can just, you know, have a full on think about all that, but I got to, obviously he's had two movies come out since we did that podcast, the killer and Mank, And I've, continued to age as you're talking with the killer even in two weeks 
one viewing and sitting with that viewing and thinking about your feelings on a film can make you change your mind on that immediate reaction. My top five for Fincher has not changed in that last time that we talked about it. And that's because those top films are so unassailable. And then when you kind of get in the middle, it's like, I'm not going to change my mind on the game or panic room five years down the line or, um, or even seven or fight club fight club is a movie like you I saw when I was 20 probably and like really just viscerally responded to it and loved it. And then in subsequent viewings and just when you really interrogate what that movie is. And like you said, this is like the kind of uh, juvenile nature of it, then you're going to kind of come away with something different as you age, if your brain develops at all. And now my brain started to atrophy so that I've got that to look forward to on how I view things. But yeah, it's that split in, areas in his filmography is pretty easy to do and i don't like i don't think there's anything wrong with like panic room is a movie that if you're just like flicking through channels on tv as if anyone does that anymore uh but if you were and you saw panic room you'd be like cool i have no problem watching panic room and the game's the same the game on tnt no problem (laughs) and the killer would be the same if it wasn't on netflix and maybe the same being on netflix for some people i don't know like maybe that will happen my instinct is that this film is just going to be memory hold. I I don't think it has enough significance to it to be anything other than that. And that's unfortunate. Like I, I just don't. The best thing Fincher's done for Netflix is Mindhunter. (laughs) And he like that took too much out of him. It was too difficult to do. He didn't sell the directed, of course. Other directors came and helped him. But it's also maybe the best example, in a way, which I guess, you know, as much as no one talks about it now, because for very obvious reasons, and also because the show like fell off a cliff as the years went on, the first season of House of Cards kind of birded Netflix in the way it was and was a really good season of TV. Like, Fincher knows how to parcel something out for streaming in a kind of you know, I think in a serialized way, and I I don't know if it's working with movies. I you you were gonna revisit our pod just to get a sense of what your rankings were. So if you did that, you'd probably did I did do you remember or have any idea where I had Mank when we did that pod? Because I know I regretted it very soon after. Uh I think I only listened to our top five from twenty twenty and May cannot come out. So okay. I, just, well, I, tried scro- I tried scrolling around the mank pod. I don't that, did we do a list? Because we didn't have it in the notes, so I don't know. Yeah, I think Mank was part of that, particularly if we did it in 2020. We did a top five Fincher and then we did a Mank episode separately. So I think we did our top five before Mank had even come out. Oh, okay. Well, mine came out, and probably on the Mank episode then, I was like, you know what, I think, I probably initially, I was like, this could be number three, four, maybe not, maybe five was where I had it, but I, I very quickly, it waned in my estimation, I watched it again, I watched it again, I mean, this is also what Netflix gives you the opportunity to do, is like, to, if you're thinking about something, to watch it again, and watch it again, then you're like, yeah, you know what, it doesn't play as well. Um... I don't know. This is probably we've probably dwelled on this a little bit too much and it's not the right foot to get the podcast started on. 
But at the same time, yeah, I, I think it's, feel I think like it's a great foot, Adam. I think Don't this is kind foot. of what happens, though. Like this is this is what happens when you make a movie like this for Netflix, and it can kind of factor into well, what are the what is the legacy of it, and then like where does it fit into a director like Fincher's career? Um, let's talk a little bit about the film itself. The film itself is based on the French graphic novel The Killer. It is starring Michael Fassbender, who it's great to see back doing like meaningful work. We had quite a few years of very little to see him as a lead in the David Fincher film, and its own right is exciting. He plays the killer. Um, and essentially, the film in its opening scene, we see him set up, trying to act as you know inconspicuous as possible. Um, disguised as a German tourist because nobody wants to speak to him in his own words and the very, very wordy voiceover. I don't know if we'll get to that more so, but certainly early on, like it's a lot of voiceover. A lot of voiceover. Um, we see him setting up for a job, for a hit. And the hit fails. And a woman dies as the collateral damage in this failed hit. And it sets off a series of events which kind of have Fassbender on the run. Uh, then back in pursuit, seeking retribution. And we see him go from place to place to place. And I think to the point you made earlier when I described that like that, this sounds like an absolutely like propulsive, gripping thriller. And it's not. It's very, very deliberate and methodical. It mirrors the character. It mirrors the character's profession. Like all of that is to be admired. That's pretty effective filmmaking. There's an element of control here, which isn't just, oh, that's how David Fincher makes movies, but it's how this particular movie should be made. Um, and he also, that's, that's uh, something I do respond to. Has the same mantra as the Republican Party empathy is weakness. So, uh, you know, that, that also goes along with the, you know, the tenor and the darkness. But anyway. Sure. Um, <laughs> He also really likes the Smiths, which, I mean, I don't know how, what the actual tally is on Smith songs in this movie. It's one of those when in that opening sequence when How Soon Is Now drops, I was sitting in my seat and I was just like, fuck yeah, this is this is everything I want. This is like I've been waiting all my life for this. I think that sequence is like spectacular. It's so gripping. It's so engrossing. And... I don't know if the movie ever gets back to there. Like, there are other strong set pieces, too. Like, really strong, well-choreographed set pieces. There's an incredible fight sequence. Um, But to me, the high of the movie is its opening sequence. And opening sequence is, you know, is a slightly loose way because there is some, you know, we see him get a McDonald's breakfast and all that kind of stuff. Like, it, it doesn't just kick in straight away Cut, we gotta see the carbs, man at work by the way. <laughs> cutting out carbs would you make that move do you respect that um depends on what stage of my life i'm in uh i've packed on a few pounds in recent months so i have not been cutting out the carbs i feel like though frankly that's a loser move if you're gonna get the mcdonald's breakfast you should eat the mcdonald's breakfast otherwise don't get the mcdonald's breakfast Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's a philosophy I subscribe to. If you're gonna get the thing that's unhealthy for you, don't don't, don't, don't try worry to find about a way to, to make it less unhealthy. Like, yeah, 
Yeah, I just opt for a different option if I'm doing it. Like that's that's how I approach low carb. If I'm going to a biscuit place, Adam, I'm getting the biggest biscuit they got in the the building. So I agree. Yeah, I guess that's that's his emotion. What do you think of uh, Michael Fassbender first and foremost? I uh, I mean, probably other than the Smiths, uh, the best part of the movie for me because I just buy him as this character so much and so easily. Uh, I like watching Michael Fassbender. Um, I can't remember the last thing that I had seen him in before this. I think you might have mentioned it earlier, but like, what was his last film? Um, I don't know. What's it, what's he been doing? Uh, uh, I guess he's a Nexco win coming soon. He sure uh, is. Which uh, I'm, I'm not Thomas... looking forward to that. I've heard it's a train wreck, and it looks like a train wreck. Um, X Men: Dark Phoenix in 2019 was the last movie he was in. Before that, he was um... in the Snowman. Like an incredible catastrophe and that year he was also in song to song so like that's gonna make the 2017 like the the reason for this is because he has been a professional race car driver um so that is why he hasn't been acting he's been busy you know having children with alicia vikander i'm trying to remember where exactly they live now but also being a professional race car driver i mean i gotta say committing yourself to that process kind of get it so uh you know good for him but they live, I was in, just lisbon. So happy... they live in lisbon seems like oh, a good I life mean, honestly yeah it seems pretty sick uh but i was happy to see him again uh and just that cold calculating uh nature of a of a hitman i think it works so well for for him uh the voiceover is heavy um but you know i'm in on his american accent too i think it's fine and especially in kind of the cold stilted way that he approaches this character um and just like uh the as we see him kind of become a fuck up as the movie takes shape um i don't know i think fastbender just plays it all well so i mean fastbender for me anyway might be elevating this for like it if there were a lesser actor taking on this role maybe it doesn't land as, as well as it did for me. And, and part of it, the experience is just him carrying a lot of the load uh, via screen time, obviously, and uh, just kind of what he brings to the performance, even though it's uh, reserved uh, because it has to be, um, because you're talking about a guy who needs to keep that heart, heart rate low, uh, needs to make clear and concise decisions, and needs to be cold and lack empathy and i think that that everything about fastbender that he can bring to those types of roles um really worked but yeah that's all i got now we'll see him as thomas throng next week i couldn't help but think of another film he was in honestly just while watching a lot of this movie now he doesn't play a role that is like for like in terms of being the center of the movie um, but I actually thought of this in that kind of fight sequence in the apartment in was it Miami in this? I don't think it was it was Florida anyway. When he was in that uh in... was it Fort Lauderdale? I can't remember. I can't remember where. It was it was incredibly Florida. The whole setup was very Florida and they made <laughs> sure we knew that. St. Petersburg, there we go. Uh, where oh, the there home we go. of the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> <laughs> Could he could he have gone and caught a game at the trap? <laughs> Probably. That's why he was so. Is that angry. what drives a man to do those things? <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. That's how you psych yourself up. 
yeah, I the film that I thought of during that really strong set piece was I thought of, oh, there's a film that does this kind of thing better, and that was Haywire, Steven Soderbergh's film. Which again, I keep mentioning Soderbergh, Fincher and Soderbergh are great friends. Uh Soderbergh assists in the editing of Fincher's movies and seems to have done it in this movie. And I just I really I think there is something there. This movie feels Soderberghian, but is also missing the pop that he can sometimes give it. Like it's like it's it's Kimmy without the part that just made elevated Kimmy for me, right? It's it's like Kimmy without the fun, maybe is is honestly a good way of putting it. I think was never gonna bring I, the fun in that way. I when I was watching uh the early portion of this film, which I think the setup is the best part, honestly, the process and talking about the mundanity of his Absolutely. role, I think all that all that's really good. Uh I was typing out the sentence to you like this is like junior varsity Kimmy. <laughs> and then uh here you say it now, so uh, well, I just think like yeah. that's a that's a streaming movie, like kind of movie that whether like it was factored into the top process, it was made with a streaming deal already in place. So you know what the primary destination of it's gonna be. Um but the the film that I thought of because of Fastbander, who's has a great couple sequence in it, was Soderbergh's Haywire, um, which is kind of I guess the more genuine propulsive you know action thriller um that this yeah. is kind of commenting on but it's like this gets into close enough quarters to verge on something like that at times and didn't didn't necessarily have the kind of payoff i wanted on the other side of it but i i thought of that a lot because of fastbender like fastbender's good here he's certainly well cast he's certainly really enjoying getting to play this kind of character and i think for this kind of director I haven't seen yet any press of Fastbender. I hope that we get some retroactive press now that the strike is over. I get to hear him talk about working with Fincher and his kind of experience in this movie. I feel like those two probably really vibe together, but still be interesting to hear about it. Um, he's good, but it's not his best. Like I just, it didn't feel like. This is this is the ultimate of Michael Fassbender. This is what I want to see him doing. Which again, it's one of those on the whole when the concept came out, I probably expected more. Maybe this is just my own problem. Maybe I wanted more, expected more from this. Um, lots of great supporting performances and just familiar faces popping up. Charles Parnell of Top Gun Maverick. Is that who is our guy, Arles Howard? He is based on that Mank podcast we did. We were we were really in on that oh, Arles Howard. That's, that's right. I actually I forgot about that. I I love Arles Howard. He is the best part of Mank, undoubtedly. So I I didn't think about that. He's pretty good here too with his sub pop t shirt. Um, and he makes uh John Henry seem human and Moneyball. Like he he's covering a lot of ground. I'm a I'm God. He was John Henry and Moneyball. That's right. Yeah. He's someone I like. I completely forget everything about his career. Every time I see him, I'm just like, oh, cool. That's a good performance. And I don't really think more about it. And then I'll look something up or someone like you will do that. And it all clicks together. Um, the best part of the movie might be the sub pop t-shirt, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, look, that's that's part of what Fincher's doing so well here. But I think it's also a really fine line. And it's like the line that he's tried through a lot of his career, going back to Fight Club. But like the Amazon 
Dropbox stuff and just being able to, you know, get whatever the the fob duplicator and get it sent to your anonymous Amazon Dropbox and go set it up and go about your hitman business. Like that's good. And the McDonald's of it all, like that's like this is all very clear and is very on the nose. And he is making clear comment on I guess the what's the term? What's the term I'm looking for even for for a kind of worker? Um what like you'd call say a an Uber driver, or like a delivery driver. Uh, yeah, I've got it. Uh, because uh, my wife asked me what this term meant this weekend. Gig worker. Gig worker. Thank you. This is part of the idea of the film is framing, you know, a hitman, you know, something as kind of mythical and fantastical and horrifying as the idea of a hitman out there as little more than a gig worker within like the great machine that is capitalism like that that's if we're going to talk about the grand thesis of the movie or what it's working towards that's it now i don't think it necessarily does enough with the characters to make a satisfying story to go with that message and so the message doesn't even get to pack the punch it could have otherwise but it's not it's not subtle what he's doing with that it doesn't mean you don't laugh i like the sub pop t-shirt is one of the funnier moments of that uh, Charles Parnell of Top Gun Maverick fame pretty recently really good as well Again, that's a good sequence the nail gun stuff like that's good stuff these all of these individual chapters like I'll say at least like 70% of them are really good it just doesn't feel like they come together to to deliver like to give the kind of oomph that makes this whole thing a whole rather than honestly memorable kill scenes like that's that's kind of what you get compiled here. Um, what are your thoughts on Tilda Swinton? Uh, I just um, my thing is I felt it was a little stunty because yeah, I forgot she was in it. I'd seen her name obviously, and then when I she shows too. up for for what she shows up for, it's like that could have been someone I didn't know, and I would have been fine with it. Like it. It but it's also when like... she shows up, it feels like she must be the big bad. And that must right. be the logical point for the film to finish. And in fact, if it doesn't, it's not structured that way at all. And that's where Tilda Swinton again could be very knowing. I'm I will admit to if there if that was the intent and there's a point that I, I don't see it, I don't get it. But her just kind of slotting in there felt a little distracting and also like there's just there's not enough there like she gets a it's a good scene it's fun to see her like chewing the bone a little bit with kind of what she gets to do and ordering all her drink and you know she's having a she's having a fun time at lost super sorts but i just was like Ugh. another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com she's, she's a little cocky. I don't know about her plan. Like, uh, I feel like I, I'm staying in that restaurant and forcing the issue that way. You're going to have to make a scene, buddy, or I'm not going down. That's my take. I'm with you on that. I think you're taking, you're taking big <laughs> risks uh, with the yeah. route she took. Um, talk about the craft. I think I think it's really well shot, by Eric Messerschmidt, and I think the majority of people who watch this movie will not get to really feel that or enjoy that. Um, they did some really interesting things that Messerschmidt has talked about, which is they shot everything stabilized, and they put the movement in and post. So the stuff that's handheld is like made to look handheld after the fact. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I don't know, honestly, if it's... I think that kind of ties into some of what Schrader is describing in his review. Schrader, by the way, killing it with his reviews lately. Just killing it. So many of his reviews have been just, like, withering. Was it his... Uh, it will come to what other film he reviewed. It might have been Saltburn. He might have got an early screening of Saltburn um, where he just he sliced that thing up and just so effortlessly he really he's got a film brain unlike few others a reminder that yeah the man was a critic to get to get started um let me see if i still have his facebook up trent reznor and atticus ross i i think i am trent reznor and atticus ross i think deliverer as always with their score but i really do think they get largely kind of obscured by the smiths like you come out of the movie and you think of the music it's hard not to think of anything but the smiths which as someone who loves the smiths was a great trill um even if like i guess to quote marcy the joke isn't funny anymore as the movie goes on it's like the first time it happens and as it the kind of first couple of times you're like this is gold and it's you still get some level of satisfaction on it, but it does have slightly diminishing returns. Um, Unless you're me. <laughs> I, listen, I'm not. I wasn't at any point like, God, these, they're still doing the Smiths. Like you, When you realize this is the whole thing and this is going to be the movie, there is something cool to that. But it has real like heft as a punchline at the start of the movie. Like it goes from being really funny, like bordering a laugh out loud funny, to being like, oh, it's so cool that they're doing this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's largely what I've what I've got on it. If we want to put it in the context of Fincher's career, I think you've kind of alluded to this. You've tipped your cap somewhat already with your Fincher rankings. 
Um, we can just do top five if we want, but we should probably at least note where the killer places. If you want to go further, if you want to go in total, if you want to go top ten, we can do that. So I'll I'll put it in your core. We don't have to say much about any of these movies, but even just to to share what your Fincher rankings look like at this point in his career. Yeah, do you want to alternate, or do you want me to just go straight down? I can. We can do all of them if you want. Well, let's. But you go straight down. I, I don't think we need to alternate. All right, so I've got Alien Three. Um. Then I've got Panic Room. Then uh, the Killer. Fight Club. The Game. Um, where am I? Gone Girl. Mank. Uh, seven. Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. The Social Network. Zodiac. I think I got them all. <laughs> We've got identical top first. Um, I've got Alien Tree at 12, then The Game, then Panic Room, then Mank, Fight Club, The Killer. I've moved Gone Girl up in my estimation. I think I had Gone Girl below Fight Club last time, and I don't know. The Fight Club thing is tough. I'll I'll gotta rewatch it again soon and see. Do I feel any differently than I did three years ago? The reality is, the film has been co opted by you know the far right and taken as you know representing or meaning things that it honestly doesn't at all and never has. And Fincher himself has to talk about this and has rightly said. Like, that's not what the movie is. The movie is the movie, but I just, I can't do anything about who decides to take something from it at this point. Uh, but, like, it, it comes down to, like, if I was gonna, if they were both on to go back to this terribly outdated idea, if I was flipping through channels, Andrew, and Gone Girl was on one channel and Fight Club was on the other, at the moment, I think I'd watch Gone Girl. So Gone Girl's at six, and then it's, Seven at five, if that's not too confusing. Uh, <laughs> the Curious Case of Benjamin Button at four, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo at three, The Social Network two, Zodiac one. And we haven't really talked about The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but that was the big riser for me out of this exercise last time. Um, I've already mentioned Blank Check. They did a great episode on The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo as part of their still ongoing um, Fincher series. Yeah, they're still ongoing. I believe they've still got Mank to do. Um, and I think that's a really just kind of underrated and slept on movie at this point that was incredibly well cast and like gets it's it's what a lot of these other films kind of like have the pretense of being or often framed as to me. It's it's Fincher bringing all of the Fincherness. It's like it's bringing the kind of style, the darkness, the violence. But it does also have an extra layer of something again. I think maybe by not that it was a masterwork of fiction, but I think as like a just a page turner, that book was very successful for a reason. And the investigative kind of elements to it like set Fincher off on the right course in a way that I think really pays off and allows his film to be more interesting. I and that's like everyone that has an idea of what they want Fincher to do. I'd just be like, can we just like can we get an investigation into this into this next movie? Can we get like whether it's a journalist, 
if it's a cop, whatever it is, just can we get some kind of shape that whatever story he's going to tell, it's being told somewhat through this prism, because I do think it seems to kind of lead to a lot of his, a lot of his best work. Uh, a shout out to Gone Girl uh, coming up on 10 years of that next year. Um, we are old uh, for Tyler Perry just being incredible in that movie, he's so <laughs> uh, good in that movie. which is um, and yeah, uh, the only other movie I got to uh, rewatch for this just like like last week um, was a social network. And that's probably the Fincher film I've seen the most. And it just holds up for me every time. And Zodiac would probably be number two in most rewatched. I, I probably just don't typically <laughs> rewatch that one as often just because of the um, the length and all of that. Um, that is where but, we're different, uh, Andrew. I, I may watch Zodiac like again this week and maybe the week I mean, after I, that. And... I will probably watch it within the week just because I regretted not getting to it. Um, but that they're one, two in my rankings and then flipped one, two in my most rewatched venture films um and the social network i've been quoting it all week uh especially especially uh some of the great uh garfield scenes but anyway and then the resner uh atticus ross score where when the the twin army hammers are rowing through the um the water where it just that i don't know that vibration the classical piece of music that they they do in their own they do their own version of that that's just an all-time great score like that's obviously the film that really put those guys on the map as composers for film and they certainly haven't looked back since then did someone did i see on twitter in a review that <laughs> someone said that uh when the killer kills someone with a nail gun. He killed them with nine inch nails. Did it? Did uh, did anyone confirm that in their research? I I saw I saw a tweet to that effect. Um, I believe that was someone on the Brewers beat. I think that's that's possible. Oh, yeah, it was J.R. Radcliffe. J.R. Radcliffe, wasn't, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. yeah. Um. So we, I don't we love know. our Brewers beat writers, Adam. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually true, but. It's a good bit. I don't, I, it's a good bit. I don't have a problem with going with it. Um, and it's it also does actually seem like something that is a joke that Fincher could find quite funny for himself. So, yeah, who knows? I'm look. I remain endlessly interested in what David Fincher is going to do next and what the remainder of his career looks like. God, I just love to get one more out of him that is really in that top tier, though, because when he hits those levels. Uh, I, he's honestly above basically any other filmmaker working. Like I, I don't personally put him in that grouping. I would rather, I would take Paul Thomas Anderson's entire filmography over David Fincher's entire filmography. I would take Quentin Tarantino's entire filmography over his filmography. Wes Anderson, if you're going through like a lot of his peers, I'm kind of taking everyone else for their entire body of work, and part of that is a matter of preference. You're going right to the top, and if you're like being like, well, any two films from any of these filmmakers, I mean, tough decisions all around. But Zodiac and Social Network is very, very, very difficult for anyone to come close to. So, yeah, we'll see where Fincher goes from here. We'll see what shape his continued Netflix projects take on. Um, but I think overall, and so we probably haven't got this. 
kind of we ha haven't hammered this home enough in part because it's probably my my tenor coming into this but it's I think it's a good film. It's an entertaining film. It's like, it's a perfectly fine David Fincher film, but that kind of feels like a contradiction in its own right because I want my David Fincher film to be more than like, oh, thumbs up, that was good. And I just don't know when I'll be like, you know what, I really want to watch The Killer again. All right. Yeah, I liked it more than, I liked it more than you, but uh, I, I agree with you. I think it... it it does serve its purpose well of I'm scrolling through Netflix. I don't know what to watch the Friday movie night type of movie. So I would suggest it if you're, you're bored this Friday. I don't think it will land in that way. Does it? I, I thought it did, but I'm a sicko. So who knows? See, you watched it on your own. If you'd watched it with your wife, I would have been very intrigued as to how that would have gone. And that was the original plan, and then it fell off course, so I just had to, you know, I knew this recording was coming, so I needed to get it done, and uh, yeah. I don't know, so I, I feel, because it, it is, it's I, slow and deliberate, like, it's intentionally deliberate, too, like, that's the whole point, he's methodical, but I think a lot of people who just click on a film called The Killer, it's like, ooh, The Killer, what's this about? And then they get into it, and even, I think you get some of the early scenes, and then, I don't know, I can imagine... I can imagine some people checking out earlier. There are gaps between that too. I don't know. I could be completely wrong. We'll see. Like it's I gonna mean, live on Netflix, you know. It's it's something that like our buddy Numac is gonna next year he's gonna send us five or six messages in the middle of the night and we'll be like, Huh, I guess Numac loved or didn't care at all for the killer, and that will tell me something about the movie. Yeah, uh, I'll be interested to see when my brother sees it. He's been on a real weird streak of logging stuff listen, lately. Another good barometer for just like, well, I'm not necessarily going to understand it, but it's it's going to tell us something. Yeah. And uh, we await what comes next. What's next week, Adam? Next week, we're going to talk about the films of Albert Brooks. I have wanted to do this for a long time. Uh, and I've just, I've, you know, executive decision here. I say as if, <laughs> as if most weeks is me just be like, hey, Andrew, next week we're gonna do this. Is that okay with you? Um, with the release of Rob Reiner's documentary Albert Brooks defending my life on Max, as it's now called, um, it seems as good a time as any. Albert Brooks is probably, you know, back in the news as he may be. Um, hopefully, like does some media appearances again. The strike is over. Like, can we get Albert Brooks on Hot Ones to talk about this documentary of his career? That seems entertaining for me. Um, don't know if anyone else wants that, but I certainly do. But we talk a lot, or I talk a lot about how comedy is a real problem genre for me, and there's so much comedy that I don't particularly like. Um, I don't think there's any other director whose films I find as funny as Albert Brooks. I think he is one of the greatest comedic geniuses ever to work in film. I love his films dearly, and I'm excited to talk about them next week. So we'll talk about the documentary a little bit. We'll talk about his movies. So if you haven't seen any of them before, go check them out. Um, I will get out in front of. Some of them are easier to see than others, but all of the kind of... I think the four... 
most kind of central films in his filmography very readily available and lost in america and defending your life i think are both on max at the moment to go with the documentary as well so yeah if nothing else check those out come back next week and we'll talk about a great comedic director until then thanks again to all of you for listening make sure you check out the rest of the gspn podcasts Eurostep Podcast Network, the main feed, home to all things Milwaukee books. That's Eurostep with Tywin Sharon Cadi and Winning Six with myself and Jordan Tresky. Got Talk of the Tundra for everything Green Bay Packers. That's Numac and Jordan covering you there. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, you can hear more from Andrew and I as we talk all things Brewers baseball and cruising for Brewers. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.